Hi, I'm Mary C. Curtis, and this is Equal Time. In a year of heightened attention to inequality in America, no system has escaped scrutiny. That includes the tax code, something on everyone's minds this time of year. But what does inequity have to do with taxes? Dorothy Brown, professor at Emory University School of Law and an advocate for economic and social justice, makes the case in her book, The Whiteness of Wealth, How the Tax System Impoverishes Black Americans and How We Can Fix It. How has taxation historically been at the root of many injustices in America? And how do taxes skew who does and does not benefit on everything from marriage to housing? And what would it take to make the U.S. tax system a just one? Professor Brown has some ideas, and she joins Equal Time to explain it all. Welcome to Equal Time, Professor Brown. Talk to you a little bit about your, your upbringing because, and how race impacted it uh, growing up in the South Bronx, uh, and you and your parents. So um, a couple of instances. So I remember, well, I, I remember my mother tell, tells the story of maybe I was in first grade and she went for a parent-teacher conference and the teacher said, and I was getting the highest grades in the class and apparently I wasn't the teacher's pet. The teacher liked this other white boy who wasn't getting grades as good as mine and turns to my mother and says, I hope you're there when she falls off of her high horse. And there was literally no reason to say that other than the woman didn't like the fact that the little black girl was the smartest in the class. Um, I remember walking with my mother somewhere on the corner and seeing a cop car and there was a, a person in the car handcuffed, a black man handcuffed, uh, with his handcuffs behind his back and a white police officer also in the back beating him. And I looked in horror and turned to my mother who who said in a really low voice, that happens sometimes. And her response told me there wasn't anything we could do about it because my mother did not shy away from fighting racism. Uh, in fact, after the incident with me, and then there was an incident with my sister where the teachers or the administrators lowered her test scores, my mother took us out of that school to a different school. So we lied and said we lived with our grandmother who was in a, a different school district. So my mother was used to fighting racism. But when she said that, it just made me realize that there wasn't anything either of us could do with the situation. And it helped me think, I don't want to have to deal with race at work. I'm dealing with it everywhere else. Yeah, everywhere. I could really relate to that. When you said that, it reminded me of a history teacher, and a nun in my Catholic school who lowered my grade because she didn't like my attitude. And yeah. my whole family descended on the school. <laughs> okay, that's the right answer. <laughs> so you go to law school and you, you, you want to see the color green and you start to study and you say, hmm, this may not be the escape I thought it was. Well, you know, it wasn't until I graduated and was doing my parents' tax returns and doing my return and thinking there's something off here. I should be paying a whole lot more taxes than my parents. I am paying more taxes, but not a lot. And, and every April 15th, I would do their tax returns and I would hit the same puzzle. Why are they paying so much? My gut was telling me they were paying too much, but I didn't really know why. Fast forward, I became a law professor, and one of the things law professors have is time on their hands. So I'm reading an article 
one particular afternoon that I had saved as a break from my work. And the article said, how do you know there isn't a race and tax problem if you don't look? And it was written by a mentor, someone who I respected. And I thought, well, if he's saying this, then maybe I should look. So I did. And the first thing I figured out or the first thing I discovered was the IRS doesn't publish statistics by race. Now, imagine, you know, not knowing that. I never thought about it. So once I tried to do the research, I realized I would have to look at research outside of the tax laws. I'd have to look at Census Bureau data or other sociology research to give me some um, proxy income information. And that's like the biggest takeaway is the IRS doesn't publish statistics by race, but we know all these other racial data. We know in health, we know in criminal justice, we know, you know, we know in housing, but not the IRS. And that needs to change. It's interesting to me you said it wasn't until after because you went to NYU, which is a pretty darn great law school. You didn't get that information there from your professors? No, I got an LLM in tax from NYU. Uh, many would say the premier tax program in the country, and there was nothing about race. I, there were no black professors. There was nothing. There was nothing about race at NYU. Nothing. Let's dig into some of these specifics that you address in your book. You told us a little bit about doing your parents' taxes. Can you tell us how the tax code penalizes black married couples? You're supposed to, right? Yes. Get married, have that wonderful benefit. Yes. Yes. And and many conservatives say getting married is a way out of poverty. But what my research shows is when Black Americans get married, not only do they not get a tax cut, for decades, people like my parents paid higher taxes. They paid a marriage penalty. So here's how it works. The joint return gives a tax cut to certain marriages. Marriages where there's a single wage earner spouse and the other spouse works inside the home. Those couples get a tax cut when they get married. But Black married couples tend to need two incomes. And anyone with two incomes that are close together, and my parents are pretty much 50-50, they don't get a tax cut. And for decades, paid higher taxes. So Black married couples are more likely to be in equal wage earner households, and white married couples are more likely to be in single wage earner households. So that means when white married when white people get married, they're more likely to get a tax cut. But when black people get married, they are not more likely to get a tax cut. And in many instances, their taxes go up. Yeah. So this is a policy that seems race neutral, but it's not uh, when you're digging. Yes, into. all of these policies seem race neutral, but they're decidedly not. Absolutely. One issue I think a lot about is housing. Because yes. it prevented my parents, I grew up in Baltimore, from accumulating wealth. And it's affected my own situation because now I live in a predominantly white neighborhood uh, that the property values are going up, but it excluded blacks with restricted covenants. I couldn't have lived here. So right. how does the tax code codify this segregation? So the tax code has an ex uh, allows you to sell your home at a gain tax-free. You can sell if you're single, you can get $250,000 of gain on sale tax-free if you're married, half a million dollars. What social sociology research shows us is 
the homes with the most appreciation are in virtually all white neighborhoods or neighborhoods with very few black Americans. Most white homeowners live in those neighborhoods. So most white homeowners are going to be eligible for tax-free gain on sale. Most black homeowners, on the other hand, live in racially diverse or all black neighborhoods. So when they sell their home at a gain, it'll be significantly less than if they lived in an all white neighborhood. And black homeowners are more likely to sell our home for a loss and those losses are not deductible. So you live in a predominantly white neighborhood. So that means it's a really good financial investment. But there are other drawbacks to living in, being one of the few black families in an all-white neighborhood. Your neighbor may call the cops on you because they see you going into your home. You mean when, like when they stop my son, the police? Okay, see <laughs> what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Right? If you have, and you have a son, so the odds are you've had to do battle with the school system that targeted him as a problem when all he did was what other white kids did but they see your son as a problem just for being Black. So it's a good financial investment, but then you have all these racist problems you have to deal with. Alternatively, you could live in a racially diverse or all-Black neighborhood. It wouldn't be a good financial investment, but you wouldn't have those problems. So if you're Black and you want to buy a home, there are no good options, right? It's the lesser of two evils, however you define it. Wow. Are there any other areas of inequity? I'm almost afraid to ask this in the tax code that people may not have thought about, but that have devastating consequences. So one other, uh, take our jobs, for example. You know, there are tax-free benefits, retirement accounts, health insurance. Black Americans are less likely to have jobs that come with those tax-free benefits, right? And when we do, we are less likely to participate because we often have extended family members we have to provide support of some sort to. Um, Research shows Black college graduates are more likely to send money home to our parents and grandparents, but white college graduates are more likely to receive money from parents and grandparents that they can then use to build their wealth. And gifts and inheritances are tax-free. White Americans are more likely to get gifts and inheritance than Black Americans. So there's a myriad of ways that tax law disadvantages Black Americans while advantaging white Americans for engaging in the same activity. That's the scary part. Yeah. Does does this have anything to do with what you were just talking about, you know, wealth and handing it down, that Black children born to parents, even if they're at the top? Are more likely to fall. Could you explain that? Because that really, yes. it killed me when I read it. Yes, it's so it's so hard to see. It's so hard to read. It's so hard to hear that even a Black American with high income, their children are more likely to not maintain, to, to, to not stay in that socioeconomic status compared with their white peers. And I think it's a function of how... Black Americans have our wealth. A lot of it is tied up in our homes. And I've already told you the drawback to to that. Not not enough of it is invested in the stock market. Um, And it's not that we have spare money that we're not putting in the stock market. We just don't have the money, right? A lot of it goes towards support other family members. So, you, you know, there's research that shows even 
wealthy Black Americans are unable to protect their children from student loan debt the way white wealthy Americans are. So no matter how much you earn or how much wealth you may amass, racism always finds a way. Wow. Always a way. Well, who wrote these laws? We talked. You talked about how they seem r- racially neutral, but do you? It ha- is there evidence that it was really done at the time to hurt Black folks intentionally, or is it sort of like benign neglect? So the way I put it, most of these laws date back to when Jim Crow was the law of the land, before Brown v. Board of Ed, before the Civil Rights Act, and when we think about that. Do you really have to have a specific intent to harm Black Americans if everything that we experience harms us, right? Jim Crow basically said separate but equal was was just fine. So I haven't found specific smoking gun legislative history. But for example, take the gain on the sale of homes is tax-free. That dates back to 1951. Well, In 1951, pretty much for the first time, a majority of white Americans were homeowners. So a tax break for homeownership in 1951, we know who that's going to help. The FHA has just spent years with redlining, helping white Americans become majority homeowners and hurting or, or stopping Black Americans from using the same program. So a tax break that's designed for homeowners is a tax break designed for white people because white Americans were yeah. majority homeowners. Yeah. And all those GIs who fought and yes. came back and wanted those loans to move to Levittown. And so if you were white, fine. Yep, you if could you do were it. black. No, thank you. Right. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to bring us up to politicians today, we have the Biden administration, and they've talked a lot about racial inequity. They've put Susan Rice in, in charge of a lot yes. of these initiatives, and and addressing it has been at the heart of, of some of his policies. So do you think this president is taking any steps to address the inequities within the tax code that specifically penalize Black Americans? So he, his first executive order— Uh, was about racial equity across the government. He put together, or it's supposed to create a data working group, including the Assistant Secretary for Tax Policy. The problem is that Assistant Secretary for Tax Policy has no history of dealing with anything uh, about systemic racism in the tax law. So I think that President Biden is committed, but I don't think he has the right personnel to get it done. So Um, you know, the expression trust but verify. So I'm ready to see some action. And I don't think the personnel are there in the treasury to to get us action. Well, what needs to be done? And have you been talking to some folks about this in the administration? I spoke with a special assistant who works uh, with the president. Um, I think because I've been so vocal in my critique and how the Treasury just doesn't have the capacity to do it based on the people that the Biden administration has put in there. But other than that, no. Um, And I'm at the point where talk is cheap, and I want to see some action. What I have seen is uh, bad rhetoric. So there's been some talk about corporate tax reform. 
and tax havens. And what I've seen out of the president's um, administration is basically racist talk around tax havens where they focus on brown countries, but not white countries. So they'll focus on the Cayman Islands, they'll focus on um, other Caribbean countries, but not Switzerland or Luxembourg or Ireland. So what, and, and Stephen Dean, who's a professor at Brooklyn Law School and has written about this recently in The Nation, that leads me to say I was right to be suspicious, right? Mm. So there's this executive order, but the people implementing it are not up to the task. And the president really needs to get different people in there. And let's be clear, it's not going to be me. I love my job. Yeah. But there are other people who are more than capable to do this. And they're just not working at Treasury. Yeah. What would something that could be done to 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 go get at this problem? Is there a, oh, a policy? Publish, or? publish data. You know, get... So, so the president's executive order sets up this working group to deal with disaggregation of data by race. That's exactly what I want. But it's not happening because the people in charge can't do it, in, in my estimation. So getting uh, the tax data public so that, you know, it took me over 20 years to get this. And if I wasn't determined, we wouldn't know about this today. You should not allow something this important to fall to whether an individual law professor decides to take this up as her research agenda. That's just ludicrous. So I spoke um, at a Senate Finance Committee uh, hearing and talked about this. So I think there's some movement in Congress to do something about this, which is, which is heartening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you say it shouldn't be up to you, but you and I know that Black women carry the weight of the world on their yes. shoulders. Yes, we, ma'am. You are correct. <laughs> we're invisible until they want us to save. Right. <laughs> ask, that's right. That's right. That's ask right. Stacey Abrams, all these, oh, yes, right. <laughs> let's clone us, right? Um, you know, in exploring your book, I think it's fair to say that it really puts a question mark or an end to the concept that Black Americans, I think, find problematic, but we all know as the, quote, American dream unquote. If you work long enough and hard enough, like you say, you get married and stick to the rules. Go to you college. Will reach, yeah, mm-hmm. go to college. You will be economically secure. You're, you'll be better off than your parents. Your kids will be better off than you. Do you think that this tax reform, if things are done well, that that would be a key, that the American dream means something to Black folks? <laughs> Well, I think uh, tax reform is a critical part of it, but I think my book also points out that the systemic racism is built into the wealth-building enterprise in America. So until that is fixed, so, you know, one of the proposals I suggest is the federal government should get out of tax subsidizing a racist home market. So let's say my my reform is passed and there are no longer tax subsidies for homeownership. That doesn't change the fact that white preferences set the market and black homeowners won't have wealth because we live where we live. So step one is tax policy, tax reform. But step two is directly addressing the racial wealth gap with reparations, and other things designed to put wealth into Black people's hands. 
Well, they have that study now to study reparations. Do you think it'll go anywhere? It might. It might. People will have to push for it because look how long it's taken to get to this point. <laughs> yeah, just so, to yeah. even talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, what question have I not asked you that I should have? This is certainly a field that I've had to study up on <laughs> because you have some things you want to say about it. And I just haven't broached that question yet. You know, the one thing I wanted to say, and I think we covered it, is that when Black and white Americans engage in the same activity, tax policy subsidizes how white Americans engage in it while disadvantaging the way Black Americans do. Yeah. So playing by the rules isn't isn't the end-all, be-all. Not for Black Americans. Is there a way that Black Americans can prepare and fill out their taxes within the system as it's written now that would make it less disadvantageous for them and it would advantage them even incrementally? So I would say no, based on how the code is written. Um, you don't, So no. But if you were thinking of how could I earn income in a way that would enable me to pay less taxes, I would say invest in the stock market. Because investing in the stock market gets you lower taxes that uh, that's applicable. So, you know, uh, filling out taxes the way we normally do, there's really no, nothing else to do. But thinking of ways to generate additional income that might be subject to the low preferential rate by investing in the stock market. I know it requires money, and the whole book is about how tax law takes money out of your pocket. But if there was one thing you could do, I would say that. Yeah. And as you said earlier, for so many Black folks, even the ones that society will look at and say, you've made it, they they have a lot of folks that depend on them generally. That's right. So there's not as much uh, money available. That's available. right. Yeah. Wow. Are you optimistic about anything? <laughs> Well, I'm optimistic that the president signed this executive order and he seems responsive when people publicly complain. So part of, you know, my goal with the book is getting people to publicly complain. So I'm not the only voice out there holding the administration accountable. Yeah. Well, you've gotten so much uh, attention. Obviously, it's a fantastic book. Um, I did note, you, you said that people, it's been a little surprising to you that the general public has really been responsive. This isn't just a book for walks, you know? No, no. And every time I would give a talk about this to a general audience, and that's really why I decided to write a general audience book, because whenever I would go out and speak to ordinary people, they would want to hear more. When I would speak to academics, they would want to hear none of it. But when I would speak to the general public, they want to hear more. And I said, you know what? I need to talk to people and stop talking to academics. So it's been heartening um, to hear people say, you know, your book actually was written in English, which is, you know, my goal, right? So to hear somebody say that, I'm like, okay, my work here is done. Oh, that's great. And what are those academics saying now? <laughs> Oh, you know, suddenly my email inbox is like full of academics who want to talk to me. Surprise, <laughs> surprise. That's always the way. Yes. Well, thank you again for being a guest on Equal Time, Professor Dorothy Brown. Thank you. So what's keeping me up at night? When South Carolina Senator Tim Scott 
in his GOP response to President Biden's recent speech to Congress and the nation said, America is not a racist country. I was puzzled. Biden never said it was. What the president did talk about was rooting out the systemic racism that plagues American life in many other ways. Scott, when he has talked about being stopped by guards who did not believe he was a senator, seems to have had experiences that prove that point. From Dorothy Brown and her book and appearance on Equal Time, I've learned just how many systems in America are deliberately complicit. So one listener said what was keeping him up at night was what I didn't do today. Don't worry, we all have that nightmare. Let me know what's on your mind by tweeting me at mcurtisnc3. And thank you for listening to Equal Time. Please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.